Welcome to the December 27th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and the sermon is entitled, Jesus from Baby to Boy, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Today I'm going to talk a bit about the childhood of Jesus. There's a verse of scripture that leads us to understand the childhood of Jesus. It's very important in his development as a man. Of course, he is indeed the Son of God. We know that he came by the extraordinary circumstances of an earthly mother, but overshadowed by the Spirit of God to implant the seed in Mary. He had an earthly father in Joseph. Joseph did not have part in the conception process, but he was the earthly father called of God to raise Jesus the Christ. The early years of life are so absolutely crucial to our development as people, as human beings. And as we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, by far the best place to start in bringing an understanding about who God is and how we love Him and how we come to Him and how we serve Him is when we come as a child, when we come growing up understanding how God loves us. Someone once said that the church is only one generation away from extinction in that we are called to raise our children, to give them the gospel, to lead them to Christ, to tell them and to show them and to mentor them that they have a plan established by God for their lives, that they are to love Him and serve Him and go into the world for Him. So I want us to concentrate today on childhood and the childhood of Jesus. Parents, grandparents, we know that we are called to nurture and mentor and train up our children to encourage them in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can't be saved for your child. You can't make that decision for them. But we lead them to that point of making that decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. We invest in the lives of their children. There's no greater investment in all of the world than to invest in the life of a child. You might invest your money in a bank and it will yield a little income, but an investment in the child's life can yield a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and one with whom we will share eternity. So it's important that we invest. We have some parents-to-be. We have uh, grandparents and parents here. We have a church here. We are called to invest in the life of a child. You know, sometimes we see child, children, and they're running down the halls. They might be a little rowdy. They might be a little loud. We have a baby that cries through all of the worship service, and we draw our frowns down a little bit. But let me tell you, the greatest asset to the life of a church is children. They are our future. We train them up. They are going to take our place Stand in our place one of these days when we're off the scene or we're sidelined from that. We train up our children. We invest in them because we need them so that the church can move forward. And so sometimes we look at the walls and see the handprints in the church. Uh, We look down the hallways and see scuff marks and all of those things and think, boy, we got to clean, boy, we got to paint. But a clean church without children is one thing, but a dirty church with children is a main thing. It's a great thing. We'll clean and we'll paint, but we need the children. And I'm grateful that our ministry to our children is opening back up in this season of the year as we've opened up Sunday school, as we're getting ready to open up Wednesday nights once again. I'm thankful for that. But as we look at our children and our young people, they are so precious to us. Today I want us to look at one verse of Scripture 
that gives us a bridge in the life of Jesus from babyhood to boyhood, even to adulthood. Uh, of course, we always look at Luke chapter 2 uh, in the Christmas season, the main story that we look to uh, as we see the birth of Christ. And the, the second chapter is a gold mine uh, of the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. I wanted to take one verse today. So open your Bible to Luke 2 with me. If you're at home streaming with us, open your Bible, Luke chapter 2, lay it on your lap, because we're going to look at one verse today. This verse covers really the first 12 years of Jesus' life. Early in Luke chapter 2, we learn about and read about the birth of Jesus in the manger, and he's laid there in that feed trough. And then Luke chapter 2 skips to 12 years old in Luke 2, beginning with verse 41. When his parents travel with a large group going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, so they celebrate all the large family groups, celebrates the Passover. Then they turn to go back to Nazareth and back to home, back to the home village uh, where they're going to maintain their daily life. And as they go back, after three days, they realize they have lost Jesus. It's not good to lose the Son of God. So I'm sure in a bit of fear and in a great hurry, Mary and Joseph and maybe part of the troop go back to Jerusalem to find Jesus where he had been lost. They find him exactly where he needed to be, which was in the temple. And he was sitting with some of the greatest teachers of the law in the temple. And he was expressing wisdom and asking questions that were far, far beyond his years of 12 years old. And the leaders of the Jewish faith were absolutely amazed. If you were with me uh, on, on, on the Christmas music, you know, amazed and wonderful or connected as words together. But they were amazed at the wonder of this young man who, who was sat with them in the temple answering questions and asking questions at 12 years old. But between the birth narrative and this narrative of 12 years old in the temple is one verse. Look at Luke chapter 2 verse 40. This verse stands between those two accounts of Jesus' life. Listen to the words, they are very important. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So that one verse then is a bridge between birth in Bethlehem and 12 years old in the temple. And I believe this verse bridges on into his adult life. What he grew up with, what he learned as he grew, he carried into his adult life and even on into his adult ministry. There's very, very little information on Jesus between his birth and the beginning of his earthly ministry when he was 30 years old. We have the account of 12 years old in the temple in Luke chapter 2. But this one little verse kind of spans the life of Christ and how he was born and how he grew that brought him to the ministry that God had given to his son, which ultimately led to the cross and to the empty tomb. So as we look at Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and as the Advent Christmas season is closing now, I want us to consider the growth of the Christ child, what he learned that brought him on into life as the very son of God. As we look at this verse, really there are three major compartments or components 
in this verse. I want us to look at them one by one as we see the growth and the maturity of Jesus, the Son of God. So here's compartment number one in this verse. It says that the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. And what the intention is here is to say that he waxed strong physically and he grew strong in character. He grew strong as a young man who could be trusted, a young man who had a character about him that was godly. That's very important for us to see in this first compartment of this verse. You know, my parents uh, were born early in the 1900s. My, my, my father was born in 1918. My mother was born in 1921. But in that era of time, and I grew up hearing this, my parents said, there's one thing that we learned as we grew up, and that was hard work. As soon as we could walk, as soon as we could be productive, we were put to task to do something, be it washing the dishes, working in the field, following father around, whatever it was, they were taught hard work from the very beginning. In fact, work was more emphasized than school was in those days. And they taught, were taught hard work. And both of my parents were extremely hard workers throughout all of their life. I believe that as the Christ child grew up, he grew up with hard work. There's a reason that God chose Joseph to be the earthly father to Jesus. There's a reason that Joseph was a carpenter as he raised Jesus. I believe that the Lord grew up in hard work. I believe that he followed his daddy's footsteps to that carpentry shop day after day. As soon as he could walk, he was following his father into that carpentry shop. And I believe that as he grew, he was given tasks within that uh, work uh, so that his hands got rough and calloused as he handled that rough-hewn wood all day long, handling it for his dad. Uh, as he grew past 10 and 11 years old, the muscles in his arms began to bulge. He, be, he was turning from a little boy to a young man. And his body was reflecting that hard work as it developed and as he grew. He grew in physical strength. He grew to carry himself like a man. He grew to be masculine uh, in, in his character. Uh, and I remember preaching a sermon years ago. In fact, I, I think about this sermon's title quite often. But uh, the, the title of the sermon was, Was Jesus a Wimp? Uh, and I preached the sermon in 1986. I pulled it out. I looked through it. I have not re-preached that sermon ever. And yet, what I'm saying to you today flows from the thought of that. Was Jesus a sissy? Was Jesus a wimp? And the answer then in 1986, and the answer I bring to you in the close of 2020 is absolutely not. He was a man. He grew up as a man. He grew up waxing strong physically. He grew up as a man, as a man of character, as a man who could be trusted because that's what he learned. That's what he was taught within his family. So physically, according to Luke chapter 2, he became strong. He became strong physically, and he became strong in his character and as a trustworthy man. Here's the second compartment of that verse. This verse of Scripture says Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, the word wisdom in Greek is Sophia, 
And that word means that he grew in understanding the world around him. The wisdom that he grew in was the wisdom of the world around him, the, the facts of the world, as well as the facts of how you live with people in the world. He grew in wisdom. He grew in understanding how the world operated. He grew in understanding how people operated as well. Jesus grew just like every normal child grows. You know, it tells us in Philippians that Jesus emptied himself. When he stepped out of heaven, when he stepped out of glory and came to that manger bed, he emptied himself. He laid aside his robes of infinite glory and infinite wisdom, and Jesus, from the manger forward, grew up like a normal child grows up. He was and is the Son of God but he was also the son of man. He was a baby that had to grow up and learn, just like our babies learn today. He asked questions. His mind, like children today, was like a sponge in understanding and taking in worldly facts and worldly wisdom. He had to learn, once again, that fire could burn you. He had to learn from baby forward that water can drown you. He had to learn about the stars. He learned about the way the grain ran in wood as he worked with his dad. It's an amazing thought, well, especially as we read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that says, Jesus, the Word, was with God the Father. When everything was created, everything that was made, Jesus was there. Nothing was made outside of the presence of Jesus. Amen? John chapter 1, he is eternal in nature. But when he emptied himself and when he came to live with us and among us, he had to grow in understanding the things of the world. So interesting, he had to learn again about the very things he had created. Isn't that an amazing thought? He had to learn about the very things he had created. He had to grow in wisdom of the world around him. His mind learned, his mind developed and grew and took in facts. He grew in wisdom. He grew in wisdom of the world. He grew in wisdom of people and how people operate and how we relate to people. That's part of worldly wisdom, how we live as a member of the human race. He learned that. He was learning that as he grew up from manger through 12 and on through adulthood. Third compartment, third place within this verse of Scripture says in verse 40 that the grace of God was upon him. Grace is a wonderful word. The Greek word for grace is charis. And grace basically means God's love in action. God's love moving forward. God's love accomplishing something. That is grace. It was God's grace that led him to send his son Jesus to the manger. Grace doing something that we might be saved. It was God's grace that raised his son to understand that he had a plan in his life. God's grace moving forward. It was God's grace that sent Jesus to the old rugged cross. That the perfect, sinless Lamb of God would lay his life down on that old rugged cross and his blood would be shed so that we could have life and forgiveness. That's God's grace moving forward, working in action for us that we might be saved. It was God's grace at work when Jesus was raised from the dead in that tomb 
that we might have life everlasting. And it is God's grace that is still at work today when any one of us would today say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you went to a cross and you rose from a grave that I might have life everlasting and I want to accept you and receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, whether you're here in person, watching by streaming, listening in a parking lot, whenever anyone comes to Jesus Christ in faith, you will be saved, you will be forgiven, you will be given eternal life. That is God's grace working, moving forward, that life can have purpose and meaning and eternity. God's grace is still very much at work in this day and in this age. So Scripture says God's grace rested on Jesus. He developed. He learned to love God, His Father. He learned to love people, that people were valuable. People still are. Every single soul is valuable in the eyes of God. Now, I believe at the point of Jesus' baptism, that was when at 30 years old, Jesus said, My Father, I will go to the cross. I will take the sin of the world on my shoulders. I will lay down my life so that human beings can be forgiven of sin. I believe it was at his baptism that Jesus Christ came to the Lord, God his Father, and said, I will go to the cross so men and women, boys and girls, can be saved. And, of course, that prompted God's reply, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I believe God's pleasure was in the fact that his son was following exactly what God had laid out for him to do. So, at 30 years old, we see Jesus undertaking his ministry, being baptized and following God's plan for his life. He wasn't baptized as a sinner. He was baptized as the Son of God to follow God's plan. And that plan included the cross. But in these first 12 years of his life, Jesus learned this. Jesus had to learn this before he could make that commitment to God the Father. He had to first learn, my God loves me. And he had to first learn, my God has a plan for me. And the good news, ladies and gentlemen, is this. God loves every one of us. God loves you if you're streaming. God loves you if you're here in person. God loves you no matter who you are, where you are, where you're from. God loves you. But also, secondly, for every single person, God has a plan for our life. It's true for Jesus, true for Jeremiah, as we see it as the prophecy of Jeremiah opens, and it's true for you and me. God has a plan for our life, but that plan cannot be enacted, cannot be begun until Jesus is our Savior. You can't live for Him until you first know Him in a personal relationship. So God has a plan for our life. God had a plan for His Son's life, and Jesus had to grow up understanding that. Before he could ever commit his life to the cross, he had to first understand how much his father loved him and had a plan for him. And we see that process happening in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. He grew spiritually in the grace and in the understanding of God the Father. So in this one verse, I want you to see this one little verse is a crucial link, a crucial bridge for us to understand the life of Christ. So you need to underline Luke chapter 2, verse 40. It's a very important verse. And in this one verse, we see this. At least I see this. Jesus had a very healthy childhood. And Jesus, appointed by God, grew up in a family that had a very healthy view 
of who God is. And they raised Jesus in that mindset and in that pathway and in those footprints that God loves you, has a plan for you. We see that beginning as they bring Jesus to the temple on his 40th day of life and dedicate him to God the Father. I believe that God handpicked Joseph and Mary because that would be a healthy family in which Jesus, his son, would grow up in. God still wants healthy families, ladies and gentlemen. God still wants families who are dedicated to raising our children and our grandchildren in the pathway that God has led and laid for us. I believe that Jesus' mom and daddy tied into his growth in a tremendous way. I believe there are key figures in Jesus' life as we see Luke chapter 2 unfold. Well, I hope you know it's pretty obvious where I'm going with this. Mothers, fathers, grandparents, people of the church, we have a tremendous commission by God that we're to raise our children in his love, in his care, helping them understand that he has a plan for their life. We need to support and facilitate the growth of our children. We need to facilitate the spiritual understanding of our children. You know, I feel so sorry. There are so many in our country, in our world, this very day, who are not raising their children under the grace of God. How sad that is. And people are being turned out onto the streets as adults not knowing that God has a plan for their life because their family shorted them in that. How sad that is. We have an opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, as parents, grandparents, as a church, to invest in our children. God points his finger to us and says, give my children the learning and the happiness and the growing life that they need in their childhood. He tells us, help our young people, help our teenagers come to terms with living in this complicated world. Teenagers are struggling to understand the world in which they're living now, and it's changing every day. The world, teenagers, that you're living in today is not the world I grew up in. It's changing every day. And I will say it's not changing for the better either. You need that foundation to stand on, the foundation of faith, the foundation of absolute truth. Yes, there is absolute truth, and the absolute truth is right here. You're not going to hear the truth in the world, but you will find it here. We need to teach our children and our young people where the, where the anchor of life is, where the foundation of life is. They need to know it, and they need to know it young so they can stand on it in truth. God says, parents, grandparents, church, we are the key element of healthy, godly children and young people. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 says, The grace of God rested on Jesus And through personal experience, now heading into 39 years of ministry, I can tell you this. I truly see, and I've seen the evidence of it for years, that the grace of God in a special way rests on a child. Their mind is like that sponge, and they are voracious to know about the love of God in their lives and the truth of God in their lives. It's an established fact. You can look it up anywhere. Most Christians... Most believers come to the Lord Jesus Christ when they are children. And actually, the the incidence of people becoming believers through the process of age gets smaller and smaller as time goes. Now, if you're an 80-year-old today and you've never come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can come to Him today and be just as saved as an 8-year-old. 
If you need him, he's waiting for you. He's waited for 80 years. He's waiting for you to come. But most people get saved. Most people entrust their life to Jesus when they are children. And I believe the grace of God, just as it rested on Jesus as a 12-year-old, rests on a child. And we have to take that window of opportunity and train them and teach them and show them the love of Jesus Christ. We need to mentor to them who Jesus is in their life. So parents, grandparents, here's my challenge, my invitation to you and to me today. First of all, and I see these three compartments as growing in importance. Number one, we will provide for our children. We'll provide houses. We'll provide heat. We'll provide cooling. We'll provide food a shelter, uh, clothing, whatever they need. We'll provide those physical things. That's the first thing we provide. The second thing we need to provide is that we're going to feed their worldly minds. We're going to help them understand the world that they're living in right now. We'll answer their questions uh, when they're little people about why is grass green? Uh, why, why do trees grow as they do? Why do cows give milk? Uh, what's a solar system? What's two plus two? We'll answer all of those questions as our mind takes in the information from babyhood on through their life as they learn the wisdom of the world. And, and then we get them to the harder places like, why is living together wrong? We need to explain that to our children and our young people. We bring them to why, why remaining sexually pure is of God and why it's right for your life. We need to explain that to them and bring them to that understanding. We need to help them understand that healthy lives, healthy bodies, being godly with who we are as we live is so important as we grow. The best place to teach them is when they're young. So we teach them the world's wisdom. The wisdom of the facts around us, the world around us, the people around us, and how we conduct our lives as we relate to people. But then the third compartment really is the most important compartment of this. Will we help our children love God? Will we help our children and our young people understand that God has a plan for your life, a plan for you to live, a way for you to give your life to Him our children need to know that. Will we teach them about Jesus? Woe to the parents who don't teach their children about Jesus. Will we teach them to pray? You know how to teach a child to pray? By praying with the child. You teach them prayer by praying. How did Jesus teach us to pray? By praying. Our Father who art in heaven, pray like this. So teach a child by example. Don't give them a book and say, there's the prayer printed out. Teach them to pray by praying. We promise that we're going to raise them in a way that honors God. And if you're going to do that, raise them in church. Because this is, this is an establishment of Jesus Christ. We don't own it. We didn't plan it. Jesus did. If Jesus put it here, I believe it's essential for the believer that we raise our children in church. Moms and dads, grandparents, will you commit to living a godly, upright, moral, prayerful life before our children. They're watching us. Where does a child primarily, as they grow up, where do they primarily get a picture of God? Through us. A, a child sees God and comes to an understanding of God through us. 
I believe that's why Joseph and Mary were such godly parents. Jesus, the very Son of God, got the image of God as he grew up through his parents. And I believe it's still true for parents and grandparents and for church that our children come to understand who God is by understanding who we are. And that's the beginning of the process of understanding our holy God. So today, will this altar contain some parents, grandparents, who simply say, Lord, I see the the depth of the commitment here as I look at my children or my grandchildren. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, there are some things that we teach our children when they're babies, but there are some things that we never grow out of teaching them. It doesn't matter if your child is 30, 40, 60 years old. They're still watching a parent for a godly life. You never grow out of that. You never, you never get to the point that, that that's not important anymore. There are some things that we are always teaching our children, no matter how old we get or how old they get. They're still watching. They're still learning. We're still a mentor to them. How many parents today coming to this altar, coming to the altar of your heart, however you choose to do it, will say, Lord, help me in my commitment to show my children and my grandchildren Jesus Christ. As they watch me, may my life lead them to you. It's our most important task of life. You know, it's a great truth in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's one of the most requested verses of my ministry. People who will refer to that verse or say, where is that verse, or can you locate that verse, just write it in your Bible, Proverbs chapter 22. To train up a child, in the context of the Hebrew language, to train up a child means be a picture to your child. Show your child the love of God. So that means you can't say to your children and your grandchildren, do as I say and not as I do. If you want to teach them a life that is free of alcohol, there cannot be beer in your refrigerator. If you want to teach your child a life of clean language, then your language needs to be clean, even when you're frustrated. If you want your child to be a minister to others, then you be a minister to others and let your child see you in ministry. It's a natural pathway to them being a minister to others as well. So parents, grandparents, will you live the faith before your children, grandchildren? I believe that's our holy charge today. Tell God that, yes, Lord, I will take that as your commandment to me. However, however old the children or grandchildren are, you will continue to be a mentor of Christ to them. Single parents, I know we have some. The world is full of single parents. If you're a single parent today, I want you to know that you can, can commit your life to the Lord God, and He will somehow fill in your life so that you will be the parent that your child needs he will, he will fill out the parental role to the children through you if you'll just commit your life and say, Lord, I'm doing this by myself, but I pray for your help, your strength, your wisdom, and your grace that I can be the parent you want me to be to raise my children under your love. Church, 
This is not simply a parent thing. But will we commit to helping these families raise their children? How many of us will commit to being a Sunday school teacher for a child? How many of us will commit to leading a little mission group on Wednesday nights for children? How many of us will commit to paying attention to the children of the church as they pass by us? Sometimes they run by, I know, and you've got to slow them up if you want to say hello. But one of my favorite things at that doorway is to get down on the level of a child and speak to him or her. Stop long enough to say hello to a child, to speak to a child, to, to, to mentor a child. It's amazing what just a few words from you will do to touch that child's life. I can remember back to my childhood the people who took time for me. Can't you? Take time for a child. They will never forget it. I know that by personal example. Pray for God's grace to rest on our church as we train up the next generation so that we will have a church of soul winners as our generation passes on. Today, if we will make that commitment, God is going to bless it, and His grace will rest on us. His grace will rest on your family, and His grace will rest on your children and grandchildren. And today, if you have never come to Him as Lord and Savior, again, whether you're young, middle-aged, or on down the road of age, wherever you are, He'll meet you right in that spot of the road to say, I love you, I gave my life for you, I went to the cross for you. I died to forgive your sin. I love you that much. And if today you will say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I am a sinner. And I invite you into my heart as my Savior. And I believe that through your cross and through the empty tomb that you rose from the dead to give me life. God's grace will rest on you forever. If you need him. Don't turn him away. If you're streaming today and you need him, you don't have to be in a church building to say yes to Jesus. Wherever you are right now, if you'll just pray this prayer, the Lord Jesus will accept you as a child. So as we close this service, I want us to pray together, and let's pray for God's grace and blessing in this fellowship and wherever people are connected with us that his grace will rest on us. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, in these moments... This one little verse, Lord, has spoken to me this week. It's the bridge to understand, really, the entirety of Jesus' life. He had a good beginning. A mom and daddy who dedicated him to the Lord. First thing, when he was just a month and ten days old, they had him at the temple dedicating his life to God. And I believe that they raised him with character and with strength and with wisdom and with the understanding that God had a plan for his life. Father God, today we are blessed with the asset of children, the gift of these young lives and young people, teenagers. Thank you for that great gift, Lord. And we love them. And you love them so much, Father. We, we pray today that you will bless us as families and homes and moms and dads and grandparents, that we will mentor our children and grandchildren through the years, Lord. And even when they're grown and gone and when we're getting on down the road of age, Lord, we never lose that mentorship. They're always watching us. Help our footsteps always to lead them to Jesus.
I pray your grace to rest on these homes here. The homes represented in those who are streaming. Your grace to rest on this church. That we raise up soul winners and leaders of the faith as the years go on. And today, Father, I pray that you will bless that one man, woman, boy, or girl who simply needs to say, Lord Jesus, I I do sin. And I need to be forgiven. And I believe the one way to forgiveness is through Jesus Christ who went to the cross and rose from the grave that I might be forgiven and that I might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. I give you the throne. I ask you, Father, to be my Savior. If one person today will make that commitment here in person, they can come and personally say that, Lord, to take a pastor by the hand and we will pray with them. Be glad to meet with them further if they need it. If that person is streaming today, Father, wherever they meet you, you'll meet them right there at that spot. I pray, Father, that your grace will rest on someone today who's never been saved. But this is their moment. This is their day. And they're inviting you in. Church home, whatever the need, Lord, bless us. But for that one who needs Christ, maybe they can say this very simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be forgiven. And I thank you. You love me so much. That Jesus laid aside robes of glory, came to a manger, lived a perfect life as the Lamb of God. So that when he went to the cross, he went with no sin, but he took mine there. And he died in my place that I might be forgiven. He rose from the grave that I might have life. And so today, Lord, I ask you to be my Savior, and I open my heart to you. Thank you for loving me so much, in Jesus' name. Bless us in these precious moments, Lord, we pray. Families, children, church, those who come to you as Savior, we ask that your grace rest on us, in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.